We are in our, our five-week series called Focus. Um, it is meant to help us unify as a congregation around a common mission or vision moving forward. When we planted a church in 2002, we adopted a mission statement back then to become better Christians as we make more Christians. And that's still true. But it's been a joyful and exciting uh, process under Don's leadership as our, the elders got together uh, sometime in March up at uh, the England Lake House. And we started to ask ourselves, how can we recast or reframe a vision of why we do what we do in making disciples? So that was uh, really, a, a, I, I felt like that was a, um, God's pleasure and presence was among us as we prayerfully worked through that. So this is what we've come up with. And uh, it's, a, it's a little awkward to, to uh, read together, but let's do this again. It's not underlined, but you still need to read it together, right? Let's read this out loud together. Our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. Now, the clear, obvious, weird word in this mission statement is the word rest. Like, and then to make it even more odd, it's like it has first place. Like, are we trying to make nappers? <laughs> like, are we trying to get people to be, uh, like, lazy? Uh, what, what is, what's the deal with that? And uh, so two weeks ago, Don talked about the love of Jesus and laid a framework for everything we do is because of his love for us and our outworking of love for others. And then last week, we talked, he talked about uh, what does it mean to make disciples. But today, we want to talk about rest. And... Um, I, I look around at some of you, uh, look at some of these young parents, especially you moms, chasing around those little little ones, and I think two thoughts. One, how did my wife Sharon keep up after five? We had five kids in six years. How did she do it? And then I think of you and I'm going, you could use a nap. And then I look around at some of you guys who are working long hours, uh, some of you guys who uh, have, have a lot of pressure on you. And uh, I'm amazed at some of you how fast you can just put your head down and fall right asleep. And I think, I think about you and I go, man, you could use some rest. And then some of you have really hard lives. Um, lives of weary existence. The exhaustion of boredom. You... You, 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 you kind of dream about what could life be if, like, I won the jackpot and I could, like, escape this boring, mundane life, this drudgery. And then I talk to peers, like people who are doing 60, not miles an hour, but, like, chronologically. And one common theme arises among most of us in uh, hitting that age is we just feel more tired you know, the weariness of life is catching up with us. Today's text is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. And we want to talk about this great idea of resting in Jesus. The Bible is just one story. Now, if you just pick up a random book of the Bible, you go, well, how does this fit? There are a lot of sub, subplots, but they all point to Jesus. For instance, in the Old Testament, there is this classification of guys called priests. And they were to serve God's people, standing between God's people and God. But they couldn't hold on to their position forever for the simple fact that they're going to die. 
But Jesus, it says, has become our perfect high priest who will forever intercede with us with the Father. In the Old Testament, they were making sacrifices. All sorts of goats and bulls and lambs and, and pigeons and things like that. And, but those could never satisfy the guilt that we had until a perfect sacrifice was made. And there's never been another sacrifice needed. Because Christ became the ultimate sacrifice and his blood washes away our sin. The best book, actually, that that helps us understand some of these Old Testament themes is actually the book of Hebrews that we're looking at. And it deals with a number of different topics, but one of the topics it actually deals with in these 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews is rest. And I'm so glad it talks about rest. So what we want to talk about this morning is obedience to Jesus starts with resting in Jesus. If we're disciples, we are called to obey the master. But it starts with resting in Jesus. And so from this text, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at God's rest, gospel rest, and glorious rest. As they all support this idea that to obey Jesus begins by resting in Jesus. So what I want to do is we're going to look at the, start with God's rest. And I want to read the text. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Therefore, oh, by the way, as I start to read this, four times in here, it actually uses the pronoun his rest or my rest, talking about God's rest. And I think it's important as I read it through the first time here that you, you kind of have your ears maybe listening for that. Therefore, since the promise to enter his, his rest, there it is, remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. There's another one, my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For wherever he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works, there it is again, again in this passage he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Verse 9, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the people who, who has entered his rest, for, I'm sorry, for the person who has entered his rest, has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Man, there's a ton going on in this passage. But the first thing I want us to think about is what does this mean that God says he has rest, his rest, my rest? What is this rest? Well, I think if you're going to define rest, it's the experience of joy and peace when a job's done well. Think about it. After a big meal cooked, 
or after getting your room all cleaned up for inspection, or after uh, getting a job done at work, or after getting a kid successfully through a week, and you can kick back and rest, there's a measure of joy and peace because a job's well done. And there's, it's just relaxing. I think God rests this way. When it says in the creation, and this refers to creation at the end of the text we just read, it says, on this, you know, the Lord made in six days the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. God was not going, that was a lot of work. No. He was, he was leaning back going, this is, this is beautiful. And if God exists in a place of it just as being of ultimate joy and peace, I think that's the best way to understand rest. When you and I are resting, we, are at, we have joy and peace. So God's rest, I think there's, there's two categories of rest. There's rest that God's get, God gives, and there's rest that you and I try to get on our own. Is rest based in his work or rest based in what we're trying to work? And to rest without God means we end up empty. We don't have that ultimate joy and peace. I, our society, our culture, we live in a culture that's all activity-based. Like people are looking for peace and joy through activities. If I can only stay busy. But does that lead to peace and joy? Or accumulation? Or achievement? Like if I can only perform at a certain level. Or addiction? If I can only have enough of something, I will have peace and joy. Or affection? If only someone would love me. None of those bring ultimate peace. It's kind of like if I were to build a house, you wouldn't want to come live there. I am not a handy guy. The plumbing would leak. You would probably die by electric, electrocution. The roof would leak. It would not be a pretty house. But you look at a house built by craftsmen who excel at their gifts and you walk into it, whether it's a small cottage or a big mansion, and you just look around and go, this is amazing. Well, that's the difference between building your own house without the skill of God or letting him build a house where you walk in and go, this is a place of peace and joy. So how does God accomplish his work? How does he, what, what work leads up to his rest? Well, one thing it says in the, in the, in the first book of the Bible, in the first, uh, first two chapters, it says God speaks, and there's a giraffe. God speaks, and there's the Milky Way. God speaks, and the air you breathe into your lungs somehow moves from in your lung lining to your blood so that you have oxygenation. In your blood. Like God speaks, and it happens. It's pretty powerful words. And... In the New Testament, we understand that God speaks through his son. In fact, this book opens with, in the, in the former days, God spoke through prophets, and, and, um, and, and, and these days he has spoken through his son. Woo. Take that as a word from God. I don't know. <laughs> if, if you and I could look at, think of how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sat back on a a certain day and thought, you know, breakfast around the, the breakfast table, have a sharing coffee and saying, the father says, I have this idea to create a universe where Jesus, you are the center of it. And Jesus goes, man, I'm all in. It's kind of like God, the father 
is the designer and the developer. And Jesus is the, is the job foreman and the owner. It says in the scriptures, all things are made by him and for him, talking about Jesus. But how does God accomplish his works? Well, he speaks and is done. What are God's works? It's interesting in this text, when it talks about God's work, it's plural, works. Theologians um, debate, like, if you want to categorize God's works, what are they? I think a good list would be the four. His creation, his revelation, his redemption, and his restoration of all things. Now, it does say that all in this text, it says all of God's works are done. Now, they haven't been delivered like. It's like, kind of like you've ordered something on, on Amazon Prime, and, and there are four packages coming. And you've gotten like three out of four. Like, we have gotten creation. We've got enough revelation. We've got, we've got redemption. We're just waiting for restoration to show up. God has planned ahead all these things. And as you and I rest in his work, if we rest in his creation, rest in his revelation, what he says, rest in his redemption, and rest in his restoration, which hasn't been fully delivered yet, you and I who rest in his work, we experience what? Joy and peace. What what does this mean for us? How are we to enter God's rest? How are we to enter his finished rest? It says in verse 10 of the text we just read, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. The first thing we understand is that I don't need to do anything, me, I don't have to do anything to enter his rest and experience his joy and peace. It's not my works, it's his work. That's a good thought. But it also means that my life now takes on a meaning by which I work or be productive. And I know production is a... It takes on a different form for some of us. Some some of you build, some of you sit in offices, some of you run around and deal with real estate. Some of you are in scenarios where you don't have much to do and productivity might be making your bed. By the way, side note, I make our bed every morning just to say, if nothing nothing else happens today, I did one thing productive. Make your bed. All right, that's a little, it wasn't my notes, but sounds good. What does it mean for us then to enter God's rest. Well, we rest in his finished work. And this must be woven into lives that are meant to be productive. So there are rhythms of rest for, for what I do and how I live to add my productivity in a way that my heart forms still around the finished work of God. Read the Bible, beginning, six days God worked, seventh he said he rested. He, did, he told us to do the same thing. Since Christ came, we moved off the seventh day and moved to the first day. Why? Because on the first day of the week, God started his work of redemption by the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we gather on Sunday, the first day of the week. But regardless of how we look at it, you and I are to be productive. We will be productive forever, those who are in Christ. What does this mean then on a daily basis? And here's the question I want us to think about. How does my schedule reflect that I'm resting in God's work? You and I all have a schedule. Some are full, some are not. But how does your schedule, how does your daily schedule rest in God? Right after the text we've read this morning, verse 12, we don't have time to look into it, but it talks about the word of God being sharper, more powerful, and enters deep into the heart. 
I would argue that time in the word every day is a means of resting in God's work. It reminds us of his creation, his redemption, his revelation, and his restoration. On a weekly basis, I, 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 I'm a strict Sabbatarian. Not, not that strict that I wouldn't like run down to market basket buy something, but like I really believe that for me to rest well in God's work, I have to take a day a week and not do my normal job. Yesterday was my Sabbath. And I was so tempted to look at the sermon and re- review it. And, and I'm, in my head, I'm going, no, I don't have to do any work today. God's got it covered. I did six days of labor. I'm, my seventh day, I'm, I'm, I'm going to rest. So yesterday, I rested and did a lot of projects around the house, which is interesting to think about. But um, for those of us who aren't good at it, it's kind of a, a unique way to rest. But I would, I would challenge you, like, like what keep, what how does your schedule, your weekly schedule, how's your daily schedule, how's your weekly schedule, and how is your annual schedule? I know this is not possible for all of you, but most of us take vacations. Run into God's creation and experience his joy and peace there. Don't run from God. Run to him on your vacation in what he has made. That statement where people say, I feel close to God in creation. Well, you should. It's like his first big work that he demonstrated his power towards us. So the question, how does, you, how does my schedule reflect that I am resting in God's work? All right, we talked about God's rest, but what about gospel rest? Because it says, it says in verse uh, 2 and 3, For we also receive the good news, the gospel, just as they did. Who are they? They're the Old Testament saints who were Old Testament people of God brought out of, of, of Egypt. Um, but the message that they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest. Okay, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're not familiar with the Old Testament, New Testament, a couple of key words. Word gospel means, it's, it's, means the good news and, and, or the message. The other part here is this refers back to the, the, the people who did not enter the rest. There's the story of the Exodus. God used Moses to lead people in bondage out of the wilderness. He was going to take them to the promised land. It was called the land of rest. Now, they're going to work there. They're going to do all sorts of things. But it was the promised land. They get up to the edge of it, and they would not believe God, and they disobeyed God, and they turned back except for several, one being Joshua, whose name shows up here. And when this text refers to they did not believe, they heard it, and it did not benefit them, is talking about those people who did not believe the promises of God, even in the difficult, dark days. So as I look down through these, these verses, I think about this message, and, and there are seven aspects of the gospel message that, from this passage that just sort of are obvious. One is this is a message to hear. One, if you were living in Vermont with all the floods in the last couple of weeks, wouldn't the news that meteorologists said, hey, for the next two weeks, all we see is sunshine in the forecast. Wouldn't that be news that would catch your ear? You would hear that, wouldn't you? You listen to it. Or let's just say that you were, um, you were in Nevada. In fact, somebody's going to Nevada next uh, tomorrow. I feel sorry for you. Like, it was 112 degrees there in Death Valley, 130 degrees. One of the meteorologists said, hey, we have unseasonably cool 78 degrees, no humidity weather coming our way. Like, that's not just things you hear. It's like things you, like, lean into, and it gets your attention. Well, that's what this message does. Like, if you knew that all your sins were forgiven, 
that when you die, and you will die, death still has that high success rate, you will die, yet you go to be with God in his eternal paradise where he makes all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, and, and, and that's all free? I mean, you lean into that message. It's a message with benefits, as I've just discussed. You know, when there's bad things happening and a good news comes, like during the pandemic, and I'm, forget where you are in politics and all this, but like when you heard there's a stimulus check coming, like, baby, like free money, we know it's not free, your kids are going to pay for it. But like, 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 like good news that has benefit in bad times has a way of changing your perspective. If we had time, we could go to Ephesians chapter 1, and it says this. It says, before the foundation of the world, you were, you, were, you were blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You were chosen by God. You were adopted by God. You were redeemed by God. You were enlightened to the mystery of what he is doing. You will inherit everything that's his. You're enriched. And it says, and the spirit of God will never let go of you. You are secure. All those benefits. That's good news. And then it's a message that unites us. One of the, my job with Acts 29 takes me all around the world. I work for our, our church playing network. And, and I just have sat on the front row seat in so many little obscure forgotten churches all around the globe. Two weeks ago, I was in a little church in Stromness, Orkney Island, Scotland. And there were 30 people gathered in there. And it's just like you've got family everywhere. And what unites us is this message. You know, Don gets up here and, and talks about his as Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, for those of you who don't get sports, it's a football game, a football team, don't worry about it. And, you know, most of us just go, the Steelers, you know, old news. And I can talk about the Patriots in our glory days, and, you know, we can, we can revel in that. And it creates friction because we have sort of this animosity towards the other team. But if I talk about the U.S. Olympic team, like when I was a kid, 1980, we had this miracle on ice, this, this U.S. hockey team. Watch it sometime. The hockey team that, that beat the Russians. And what did it do to everybody in the United States? It didn't care whether you were a Steelers fan or a Patriots fan or you didn't like hockey. It just united us. Well, that's what this message about Jesus' win does. It's a message to be heard, it's a message to benefit, a message unites, a message to, be, to believe. Listen, it's hard following Jesus. When others quit the faith, will you still believe? When things are really hard, you get a bad diagnosis of money's bad or, or friends leave or, 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 or divorce hits your family, will you believe? Will you believe the message? It's one thing to hear, but it's another thing to keep leaning into it. The message isn't something I believed when I came to Jesus when I was four years old. That's what, that's what happened to me. It's something I have to believe on July 16th. Is that what today is? I think so. Like, we keep believing it, even as things are hard. It's a message of obedience. I've already mentioned that this, this whole scene is ex- expecting you to know the children of Israel, who God brought out by miraculous works, to lead to a promised land were led through the wilderness and God tested them. And when they got right to the edge of experiencing the rest of God, they would not believe and would not obey. But Joshua obeyed. Caleb obeyed. And that the rest, the, the, the rest of them that didn't obey, didn't trust, didn't believe, never entered into the land of rest. Let me just say about obedience... Obedience to Jesus begins by resting in his obedience and what he did. 
He's the one who's accomplished the big work. It's a message for today. <laughs> the writer here, I told you that the Old Testament, or the, the Bible is one story all knit together, and this book does a, a really good job. Well, he mentions David, and he brings up Psalm 95, and he, sa- he, sa- he calls us today. He keeps saying, today, are you going to enter his rest today? For those of you who are not in Jesus, like, are you going to trust the gospel? For those of you who think you're pretty good, that because you're in church and you're a pretty moral person and you're, you don't like do horrible things, you think you're going to heaven because you've earned it? No. The gospel is, it's not your works, it's his works. Will you believe the gospel today? For those of you who've been tracking with Jesus for a long time and things are hard, will you trust him today? It's a message for relevant for today. And it's a message from God. Verse 10. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. In other words, can you lean in the finished work of God and be at peace and experience his joy because of what he has accomplished? It is rest in him. It's a message about him. So here's a question about this. What patterns of my thinking conflict with resting in Jesus' work? Like, as my old daddy used to say, most of us need a checkup from the neck up. Like, we think wrong thoughts. What patterns of my thinking conflict with resting in Jesus' work? Are they patterns of God can't love me, God can't use me, or I better, I better like try to earn God's favor, I'll never get into heaven. Like, all those bad thoughts, wrong thoughts. Or that the gospel saved me when I was little, but it has no benefit for me today. That's a, those are wrong thoughts. What patterns conflict with resting in Jesus? A final and third point, glorious rest. God's rest, which he performed before the foundation of the world, he instituted creation, redemption, revelation, and, and, and the eventual restoration of all things is where this ends. This is the glorious part of that. It's kind of like that, that uh, Amazon Prime package that hasn't showed up. We've got three out of four. We've got creation, we've got revelation, we've got redemption. We're just waiting for restoration to show up. It says in verse 9, it actually uses the word Sabbath the only time in here. It doesn't use the word rest. It says, therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. We started with God's work. I mean, we started with resting in, in, in And what God has done, we rest in God's work, his finished work, his good work, his lasting work, all through Christ. We fill our minds on a regular basis. That's why we gather in groups and and on Sundays. That's why the word of God is meant to be a a sustaining food for us every day. So that daily we we are finding joy and peace in the gospel of rest accomplished through Jesus. But right now, we only get a taste of what is to come. Those moments of peace and joy that those who follow Jesus experience are just a down payment, an a, a appetizer, so to speak, of what is to come. And we are to work with our eye toward, towards God's rest. Now, you say, I thought we are talking about rest. Why are you talking about work? Well, we were meant to work. We were meant to be productive. We were meant to contribute we were given gifts, interests, and skills. There's a passage in Ephesians 
It says this, for you were saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not from works, so that you cannot boast, you, no one can boast. So Ephesians says, God did this work, you were saved by trusting his work. And then it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now next week, remember our mission statement? Uh, Our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. Next week is walking. Like, there's there's things to do. There are ways to serve. We ought to make our bed. For those who can, we ought to have productive jobs. But laced through this text is this promise of eternal rest. A place of rest. There's this expectancy that we should rest. And it, here, the, 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 the uh, official term Sabbath is brought up. And I had a bad relationship with the Sabbath as a teenager because, well, one of the things is like, I grew up in a culture where, like, you couldn't have fun on Sunday. I worked at a camp a couple summers, and guess what was closed every Sunday during the summer? The pool. The buffet line wasn't. Someone had to cook. It just that just it didn't sit well with me. Like, oh, it's okay for the cooks and the dishwashers to work, but not the, the the lifeguard. Give me a break. Like, Sabbath is not meant to be this. It was the Sabbath is a gift from God where we rest. This Sabbath is mentioned here as a promise of a day coming when it will be unending joy and unending peace. No more strain. No more weariness. In fact, you read the Old Testament, I mean, the end of the Bible, it talks about, like, there's no more nights. Like, we never grow tired. Some of us are going, like, I really want to have a nap in heaven. <laughs> in fact, we were in Scotland, my wife and I, celebrating our 35th anniversary a couple weeks ago. And we walk, my, we walk around some cemeteries, and, and a number of them, because Scotland had huge Christian revivals back in the day, not so much now. But a number of the gravestones say, Asleep in Jesus. Now, I get it. Like, I want to sleep. I'm, I'm tired. But that's not quite, like, accurate. Like, resting in Jesus is wide awake. And as we think about this glorious rest to come, I want to put up a verse from Revelation. Because look what it says. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, as the Spirit. So they will rest from their labors. It's hard work following Jesus since their works will follow them. You know, the things you do for Jesus matter. He doesn't care what kind of car you drive. He's not impressed with your address or how you spend your vacation. What matters? What, what has, adds eternal glory to the place we will dwell will be the things we do that are labors done in the name of Christ, whether that is offering a glass of water to a child in the name of Jesus or doing, serving in other ways. And I just want to, this is kind of like how this sort of ends here. It's like, and here's the question I want us to end with. What works of mine will follow me into eternity? If you're familiar with the Bible, the Bible says there's kind of like this, this, this big furnace that, that sort of calls out what, what lasts for eternity and what just gets burnt up. And I'm going to tell you, you have to have a vehicle, but he's gotten impressed with, with how fast your vehicle goes. 
You need to have a 401k, but God doesn't care, he doesn't care about your 401k. He really doesn't. He cares about, like, what works have you done in the name of Jesus? Whether it be being kind to your housemates, praying for the elderly neighbor next door, reaching out to family members who nobody else loves anymore because they've, they've, they've crashed their lives on the, the rocks of addiction or immorality or something. Who are you serving? Who are you loving? And that's primarily not in this room. I mean, we need servants in this room, and a lot of you serve, and thank you for that. I'm just thinking, how, how, what are you doing in the name of Jesus? You see, if we are to obey Jesus as being his disciples, it starts by resting in who he is and what he has done. God rests in his completed work. God's not scrambling around heaven. There's not a control room going, oh, we've got to change this, we've got to do this. Like, God's works are completed, he says. It's kind of like he wrote a story or a movie, and he's sitting back and enjoying it. He's sovereign and provident over all, and somehow our free will fits into his sovereign plans. But he, he is, his works are great. His works of creation, his works of, of, of revelation, his works of redemption, his works that are coming in restoration. We who are in Christ keep our minds at peace and our hearts filled with joy as we keep rehearsing week after week, day after day, and rhythms how, how good it is to be forgiven and loved by God. And then we look forward to that glorious rest where all of our labors, all of our fight with our personal sin, all of our loving actions that nobody notices, all of our, our humble acts of confession, all of that, someday, it says as we've read that verse, those works will follow us. So just to rehearse those questions, I think if you, if you want to like takeaways, here are the three questions again. Examine your schedule. Examine your thinking. Examine your serving. In the light of God's good works, and his rest. Examine these things. Because at the end of the day, obedience to Jesus begins by resting in Jesus.